Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. But we decided that was not enough. And now we're going to explore the television series that came out over the past few years on MCU characters. Issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy this continued exploration of the MCU universe. We continue our exploration of WandaVision with episode two, Do Not Touch That Dial. I know you will enjoy it. Episode two starts with 60s sitcom form by showing Wanda and Vision in separate beds shaken out of their slumber by a disturbing noise outside their bedroom. It shakes both of them up, and it turns out it was a branch, but in the heat of the moment, it inspired Wanda to shove their beds together, so perhaps some nookie uh, occurred. The couple are then moved to rehearsing a magic act for the town's talent show fundraiser, magic tricks that don't rely on their powers because uh, they don't want everyone to understand the powers that they do hold and, of course, that we know they control. When it gets to the actual magic show itself, everything goes awry, and then they have to use their real powers to... um, perform the magic, and that uh, lets part of the cat out of the bag, but Wanda convinces everyone that they uh, are using just traditional magic. So it's uh, the hit of the day winning the comedy performance uh, award for the local talent show. Now I'm going to bring Megan on, and we're going to discuss episodes one and two. We move really from the 50s to the 60s, and I know I referenced Mm -hmm. the Dick Van Dyke show in episode one, but clearly this, to me, was closer to Bewitched or some other... I Dream of Jeannie, too, uh, Yes, I Dream of Jeannie, I thought was incredibly silly, and for about the first 10 minutes of this episode, I thought we were moving towards silliness, even more than we saw in Mm -hmm. episode one, but we started episode two with an incredibly important detail, an item which was a toy helicopter. and In vivid color. <laughs> and on the one hand, I thought, this is cute. On the other hand, I found it incredibly creepy. And I knew something was going on. Turns out the helicopter was there for surveillance, but I thought it was because of the color. The, the Actually, it was in color. And it seemed to just scream out, all is not as it appears. All is not well. And it's that red, too, that blood red, which is echoed later when she's chatting with hilarious domineering housewife Dottie and cuts her hand. And that blood is bright red as well. So, yeah, it's a little dire. 
color-wise, and created by S.W.O.R.D., which we know exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I think you, you jotted it down here, the Sentient Weapons Observance and Response Division, so the, the alien division of the government. Interesting that they'd be sending in toy helicopters. Quite understandable. They'd be sending in high-tech-powered drones, which we will learn later. Spoilers. So let's talk about the three other women that came into the scene here. You mentioned Dottie, who is, quote, the queen of the cul-de-sac, end quote. Of course, we have Agnes, who <laughs> shows up to save the day in her own comedic way. But we also had another woman, Geraldine. And mm-hmm. um, she is an African-American character. And I thought that was a brilliant casting and or screenwriting idea because at that point in time, that would be a very unusual character in an American Mm -hmm. sitcom. It would be very unusual, not unusual to have African-Americans in shows, but unusual to have interaction between blacks and whites in suburbia at that point in time. And this character in many ways, had more wisdom than the other women. And so I was wondering if you had any thoughts one way or the other on having an African-American play that role. I didn't really clock it from that perspective. I'm glad you mentioned it because I hadn't really thought about what in the time-appropriate context how strange that would be. But I thought about it more as who the character was, Rambo, the daughter of Maria Rambo, Captain Marvel's best friend. I think we know that at this point, if only from casting. But she was an interesting character. And I guess there was a sense of her not really belonging, of almost being on a level with Wanda in terms of awareness about the situation and possible oddities within it. So then we move to the comedic element of this episode, which was the charity show and their specific act, which is the magic act. I have to say when they introduced the magic act in the form of them practicing it for the local charity show, quote, for the children, end quote. For the children. For the children. The, it was clear to me this was going to be a disaster. And this was almost straight out of I Love Lucy kind of disaster, but with a lot of physical comedy. And it turns out mm-hmm. we got that. But the other thing I appreciated was that the disaster led them vision to actually use his powers to create the facade of magic and Wanda have to do the same to prevent everyone from knowing they were using their powers and I thought that was an interesting twist in the context of this being some sort of comedic it was really interesting it was I like how they turned it on their head a little bit so instead of using their powers to impress everyone with their amazing legitimate magic skills desperately trying to hide their very real magic from their friends and neighbors yeah I thought it was brilliantly done it was Really hysterical. That kind of physical comedy is not so common on shows nowadays, but uh, it was really enjoyable to watch it in the show. You mentioned the phrase for the children, and the way you said it I thought was extraordinarily appropriate because it was incredibly creepy. And I don't know if you've ever read this short story by Shirley Jackson called The Lottery, but actually it brought up this short story, and she wrote this short story in the late 40s, And it's about a small town that has an annual lottery, and the winner of the lottery is stoned to death by the rest of the town residents. And oh, King of the Beanstalk. Yeah, it's and it's completely straight up until literally that last line when you realize the mother Mm -hmm. who's drawn the black bean is stoned to death by everyone else. And that phrase for the children had that kind of creepiness for me. I just 
it's, it really was, I thought, very well done. So they go, they win an award for not the best magic show at the event, but for the best comedy act at the event. But that leads to them coming home and something that had started in episode one, which is, I don't know if you've ever faced this pressure or not, but when are you going to have kids? When are we going to be a grandparent? When are you going to have kids? I really love a grandson. When are you going to have kids? And I used to get that a little bit, Yep. but my sense is women get that a whole lot more. And my wife is long past the age of childbearing, but uh, when she wasn't, she would get that question all the time. When are you all going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? A, a nice thing about being queer married instead of straight married is that people ask a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> but... They know you'd have to order it. Yeah. <laughs> the, and that theme, as I said, started in episode one and continued through a little bit. But amazingly enough, Wanda gets pregnant. And it's interesting, too, is because the, every, that talent show was for the children. People kept talking about for the children. But there was not a sign of a child in Westview that we had seen yet. Which makes it, of course, even until, creepier. Until there, that, that baby bump. And so the baby bump arrives. And so even old idiot Tom knows... Aha, that's a sign. And, yep. Something is up here. Something up. That's not how that works. That's not like, I don't think she did it the old-fashioned way. Unless vision is like data, a fully functional unit. One of my favorite lines from TNG. I am fully functional. But that ends, but we get more creepiness in terms of sword appearing or not. Are they being watched? I think by this time we know something is up there. And it was, I thought... A great way uh, to end this episode as a mini cliffhanger. Oh, it was because crawling out of a drain pipe in the middle of the night is going to be creepy, but a beekeeper in full garb, even if they were playing it completely straight, that would be weird and unsettling. But that Wanda was so almost violently opposed uh, to what was going on in her note and making it go away. And it was an interesting choice. Maybe she was really struggling to come up with an in-world explanation for... An interloper like that, who wasn't as accommodating as Geraldine. Uh, that's a great point, because I thought that ending scene, literally where a beekeeper comes out of the street, out of the sewer, and walks away, was absolutely brilliant. And for me, that was one of the most brilliant scenes in the entire series, because it was so off the wall, and it was so different. <laughs> and it could have been interpreted in a myriad of ways. I think we were correct to interpret that, that something's up here, but it, as it, a beekeeper is as innocuous a profession as you could ever have, because it can mean anything. <laughs> it can mean a swarm. It can mean someone whose face is covered. It can mean someone who's wearing protective garb. It can be, although sometimes, as Sigma Ford said, a cigar is just a cigar. It could be a beekeeper. A producer of delicious honey. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a group. Although there isn't just an interesting thing. There was an old tradition among rural beekeepers, I think in the UK and probably in parts of North America as well, where when something big happened in the family of the farm, if someone died or if someone got married, it was you had to go tell the bee and you had to go and basically inform them of this change in what was going on and ask them to stay and keep working with you anyway. So maybe there's some symbolism there in terms of the power of the bees. Sherlock Holmes became a beekeeper in retirement, so <laughs> there, there's something to this. You mentioned the cookie of the watch, and were there any other cookies that intrigued you in episode two, Megan? 
Oh, let's see. I mean, a lot of it was cookies. Like, the whole thing is cookie. But one I really liked was basically every word out of Agnes's mouth. But most specifically on greeting Wanda for the first time. Why, look, it's the star of the show. <laughs> so I think that was one of my favorites. And I also really liked how Agnes very plainly knows that there's more going on here than meets the eye. She's a helpless rube like the rest of the cast in the show, with the possible exception of Geraldine. She looks concerned when Wanda starts exerting more will. She doesn't want Wanda to be herself. Like, I, maybe I could just be myself at this meeting. Ha <laughs> ha, no. So I, I think that was really big hint or a teaser. For yeah, and I really liked Agnes' evolution in this from the dimwit, batty, nosy neighbor I saw in episode one to a woman who, if she had her own reasons, she helped Wanda get out of potential scrape. And that was very much the Ethel character in I Love Lucy. But that's what this friend will do from time to time, even if she is has all those other characteristics that are not appealing. But your point is spot on. She knows a whole lot more about Wanda than perhaps Wanda knows, but certainly more than we know. And you're right. No, you will not do so. Anything else you wanted to say to wrap up episodes one and two, Megan? No, I think that was great. I really like this series. I like how they started it. I like how they go on. And I'm excited to talk about the episodes, which are going to be, I've got it down here, Now in Color, which is possibly my favorite one from the whole series. And then we interrupt this program where much is revealed. I look forward to continuing this discussion. <laughs> Until next time. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as Megan and I had fun uh, re-watching WandaVision and bringing it to you. If you haven't re-watched WandaVision recently, I would urge you to do so. It's a, a great show, and it certainly uh, bears uh, re-watching as well. As this is a relatively new podcast, I would ask if you would tell your friends about it, if you're a lover of all things MCU, or pass it along to anyone else who you think might enjoy it. And really appreciate it if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. It would greatly help get out the word about this passion project around the MCU, because that's what heroes do as a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.